Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Breakthrough Radio. This is Michelle Price here, where we're coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating nine years of talking about mastering the internal and external strategies of business. It's the fourth Monday of the month, and that's when we hear from Sinka Dracovic, and she is going to be talking about leadership seems to be a red thread central theme today. The breakthrough tip is a short tip at the top of the show where you can find that information and take action on it right now. Our featured spot today is with Mark Babbitt. Mark and I decided to talk about the new normal of leadership since we're both seeing changes in that space and we wanted to explore what that can be looking like for you, whether you're a startup entrepreneur or a leader in the corporate world. You know, our featured spot is a 35-minute conversation. It's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day, allowing you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. Wrapping up Breakthrough Radio is our Breakthrough Bite with Andrea Walsh, our go-for-no gal, as she focuses on how our mindset lays the foundation for our results. The Breakthrough Bite is a 12-minute segment that's not as long as our deep dive and not as short as our Breakthrough Tip. Allows us to meet all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio today. And if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. And that's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. You know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode and everything that we talk about today, whether we reference something, we will list and link that as a resource there. So whether it's how to reach Mark, Andrea, or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out, truly connect, ask us a question, engage us in conversation, and of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Now to talk with Finka Jakovic on the pivotal role values play in your leadership, brand, and customer loyalty. This is part one of your values define your leadership. Take it away, Finka. Hey, Michelle. Thank you. So I am uh, super thrilled to talk about this topic around values and uh, how important and the role they play, not only in your leadership, but in your brand and your customer loyalty in all the things that you do. And so first I want to start with value. And this, it almost, you know, it has a, you know, it's like a, a multifaceted diamond. It has various meanings and definitions. You know, we can look at values and say, you know, values are something that is those, those are those important things that we choose to live by. It's, it's what you value. You value family. You value contribution. You value um, nature, whatever that might be. When we have the other prong or the other sort of pillar to value is we look at it and say, you know, value can be defined as giving worth to something or a certain deservedness or usefulness. 
And then when we look at value from the perspective of um, customers and clients, you know, what are they and you willing to pay for something? So how much value do you attribute to that? And so this topic around value really came front and center for me. And I want to just offer you, you know, a part of the work that I do is I'm a, I'm a leadership coach and I work closely with executives who uh, coach, lead, and mentor sales professionals. And these sales professionals work in a, I'm going to say, very competitive, very commoditized environment, which may be similar to what you do. You know, it might be a product that you provide that, you know, someone else that's very commoditized. And so part of my role is to support them in, in having um, having them help their sales professionals go out there and have some really great conversations, so adding value conversations, quality conversations, so that they can improve their client loyalty results, and if you've heard of this score called Net Promoter Score, NPS, and ultimately dealing increasing uh, financial performance or business, and so how to close that gap. Now, I've in the last 12 months, I've worked with 100 leaders and 500 conversations I've observed where they're coaching their sales professionals to go out there and have these conversations. What I've noticed, and so these are the four things, the four opportunities or the four gaps that I've noticed in these, uh, you know, what might be, what is standing in the way of sales professionals, leaders owning their value bef- to go out there. And so number one is that there is this lack of awareness of value that an individual offers. So people aren't aware of the value you bring. So you might not even be aware that you're bringing value. And the other part of it is is the, what you value, what's most important to you. And we live in a very busy, distracting environment. And that world that we live in can also get us, um, I'm going to say, out of alignment from what, our, what we value. The second piece in these conversations that I've observed has been really around um, having confidence in the value these people bring. So in for yourself, just thinking about, you know, what value do you bring? Do you have confidence in that value? And so that was another, that is another gap in, in, own, in, this, in, this value, um, in this value piece. The other component to this that I've noticed is that um, these sales professionals and leaders have been challenged in bringing their value. And so when you're selling, and, you know, I work in the, in the financial services industry, so in the financial services industry, many of these products are commodity-based products. You can go from one financial service organization to another. And what makes, what makes it different is the professional or the advisor that they're dealing with. And so how do they uniquely go out there and add value in a way that's aligned to who they are? And the final component to this value piece and this value equation um, that I notice time and time again is the inability to convey value. So um, there's this lost in translation where, um, you know, you are wanting to give value. You know your value. You have confidence in your value. You're bringing value. However, you're not communicating or conveying it because your client is not understanding that or perceiving that as value. And so these are the, sort of the four, I'm going to say, gaps when we're looking to add value that, you know, that we come across. Knowing our value, owning our value, bringing our value, and conveying our value. And so uh, one of the things I want to leave you with is when I think about, and we're just going to start with that first bucket around knowing your value. 
And here it's about really understanding what value you bring. And so, you know, a tip to offer you on how you can find out what value you offer is ask your clients what they get out of the relationship that in working with you, what are their takeaways, what results have you been able to deliver. I'm a, a huge proponent of taking personality assessments um, as well as looking at, at the work that excites you. What is it that gets you uh, really passionate and excited? That'll align to what you what the value you bring. The other piece is knowing what your values are. And Simon Sinek, he's the author of Start With Why. He has this cool thing called the celery test. And you know if you've passed or you know the celery test or what your values are based on someone's grocery cart. So picture yourself in a grocery line. You're out there uh, shopping and you see someone in, in the front of you and they've got lettuce, organic yogurt, celery, and almonds. You know their values. If you have someone in front of you with chips, juice, yogurt, whole wheat bagels, and maybe some chocolate bars, you know what they value and what's important to them. And so I look at the celery test as, you know, giving you the question around, you know, what's in your grocery cart buggy, bug, buggy to let, identify what you value and what's most important to you. And so that takes us to really, when we think about our values, it's, uh, you know, know it, own it, bring it, convey it. But when you think about knowing where you need to start is knowing your values, what value you bring and what you value most. Michelle? Thank you. I have a feeling what you're going to deliver over this last quarter of the year is probably going to be something that will really start 2018 out for people with a lot of insight. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Looking forward to it. In our last episode, before our break this summer, we talked to Katie Tynan and her work in free agents. How the future of our workforce is changing and what does your role look like going from corporate employee to a free agent? She helped us wrap our brains around what that looks like, what are the things that you need to address, especially if you've never been in that role before. There's a lot of unique, new, and different questions that surface from that. Now, a big company that's been a great example of helping its customers ask better questions because their role with their vehicle is changing as well is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead in being more strategic in how you connect and serve your customers? You know, today's consumer has changed the game of buying for business no matter what industry you sit. It's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what growth hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached with finding out how they can actually grow their business and their revenues. So Growth Hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what's important to your customers today and using analytics to see how those customers are making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and to make sure you're staying relevant. Whether you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that when you know it to capture their attention and to have it be welcomed. So whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headaches. It is your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction for your business. So connect and discover how growthactingcmo.com can help you do that for the last quarter of 2017. Now before we start our featured interview, 
Remember, we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com and hitting that share button, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. So join me now as we're going to talk with Mark Babbitt, the co-founder of Switch and Shift, about what does the new normal look like for leaders today. Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Michelle. How are you? <laughs> well, I just learned another new lesson in this journey of lots of new lessons in the past three or four weeks, and I've never had to deliver someone else's tip on this show. <laughs> can you hear me, Michelle? So what? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I I, it, it didn't sound like we were connecting, but I'm here. Yes, we're connecting. So, you know, Mark, as the world, as we have seen it in Houston, uh, has gone through some really interesting changes, and we've been addressing a catastrophe, really, of biblical proportions here. You know, we experienced over 50 inches of rain, and now what surfaced, from that and why I bring it up is the lack of response from FEMA and all the emergency relief organizations was huge. Now, I don't want today's conversation to be about politics. That's, that's not why I'm bringing it up. I want today's conversation to be about what is the new normal in leadership and what that is looking like for individuals, many whom are entrepreneurs, that are stepping up and doing what needs to be done right now. Uh, you know, we saw some really great uh, things happen in that space. People like Dutch Small stepped up and, and Carrie Polly stepped up in the restaurant industry because all of a sudden we had first responders and they needed to be fed and lots of things were flooded and lots of businesses were closed. So they connected with, like, nonprofit organizations and they called their suppliers and they immediately got people together and started cooking and sending food out to people for free. We've never seen that kind of leadership step up in a catastrophe. And it was very fascinating to watch how uh, individual leaders stepped up in a really, really different way during a catastrophe like this. Well, that, that happened both in Houston and in Florida and, and even down in the, in the Caribbean where we're, where a lot of us, uh, especially entrepreneurs, didn't have a particular personal interest, but they just saw that people needed help, and they stepped up and 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 showed some leadership. And we call that social leadership, right? We aren't. That's what's. That's the new normal. Is we can't just worry about the shareholder value and what the what the next quarterly report's going to look like. It's what difference are we making, and how are we helping those around us? How are we building community? And and I got to tell you, Michelle. As you, as you saw, several examples of this also related to the, to the catastrophe. Many old school leaders kind of fell, fell by the wayside. And, and the positive press went to those who said, no, I'm not going to sit around and, and wait for the government to step in. I'm not going to wait to be asked. I'm going to step up and be a leader. You know, I'm wondering, what do you think, because I, I know I've given a lot of thought to this, what is happening in um, in the place where let's see how can I articulate this? I, I just love it when you when I have a thought in my head and it's and it's one that I've not really expressed. So it's not like you know I have a 
uh, you know, a, a, a pat way to pull that out of my brain. But it's like, what do you think has happened that has allowed people to show up in such um, uh, a, a new way, a different way? Because it's not like this isn't the first catastrophe that happened. I mean, you know, w- one of the things that I thought was kind of fascinating is that Florida saw what was going on in Houston, and they actually reached out, for example, to our startup community and said, we see some things that you guys put into place. Can you give, can you share with us insights and give us some access to some of the uh, tools you put together so that we're prepared because, you know, this, the hurricane's bearing down on us, but it hasn't landed yet. Why do you think that, People are stepping up in a really different way now than 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Well, I think it's, it's not even – the answer to that question, I believe, Michelle, is even a, a business issue. It's a human issue. I think at some point we got tired of what was happening in the industrial age. We got, we got tired of being just a, a cog in the machine. We got tired of working just for a paycheck. We got tired of – of the you know those those old white males providing all the leadership and and we just kind of listened to their controlled messaging we decided we wanted a voice and and that's what the social age has done for us and and now you know twitter facebook linkedin uh, snapchat instagram we all have a voice and it's not just to our closest friends or or you know for the boomers our bridge club or or the you know the skateboard park for our for our younger listeners. It's it's everybody has a voice now, and I think that has made a huge difference in our willingness to step up. And and in the industrial age, again, we you know we, we just kind of beat the human out of us. And I think there's almost a little bit of a revolt going on. And now now we want to be part of the community. We want we want to feel that sense of belonging. We we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, I I appreciate us diving into the conversation in that direction because, you know, both you and I have been in the social media space as early adopters, and we're probably uh, a little more sensitive to watching the nuances and the shifts in behavior, you know, over a long period as well as watching what happens in in short-term things when, you know, it's almost as if when one group of behavior changes, it gives permission to other people to be thinking about how they can take action in a really new and different way. Have you noticed any um, – what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to keep saying changes, but evolution. Have you noticed any evolution in what's happening with individuals and they're embracing leadership in in a really new way over just even say this past year. Oh, I certainly have, and I got to tell you, even over the last ten years, you know, when social media first came out, and don't get me wrong, there are still examples of this everywhere. Social media was kind of all about me, not about we, and and it it became a a broadcast tool where we could call ourselves an expert and jump into a field that we really didn't even know that much about. But, but by putting guru in our, in our handle name or, 
or just constantly spamming people with with um, emails and posts online, um, we could certainly turn into that self promoter, and that and that is kind of and that wasn't just individuals; that was also companies. Let's call that phase one of social media. Then we get to phase two of social media, where we actually start using social for good, and and we start communicating with each other, not waiting for that go between, whether it's the the, the CEO of a company or the or the government or 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 whoever else we we might have waited for in the 1970s and 80s. Now we're talking to each other and we're saying, you know what? I could I could really help down in Houston. I I could I I could launch my own little mini campaign. I I could do something good for the people in Florida. And and so this phase two of social media, it's definitely more about we or us. And and that's the exciting part for me, especially when it comes to leadership. When when you see individuals stepping up and being role models uh, and using social for good then then that that almost erases all of the promoters and the spammers and the and the and maybe even our own president of the United States who uses Twitter for his own purposes that I haven't quite figured out yet. Um but but when we start setting our leaders up, especially our entrepreneurial leaders up, and they become rock stars by leading um by being good role models, leading by example, that cannot be a bad thing. You know, it's it, it has been kind of fun as well as fascinating watching what's happened to our entrepreneurial leaders because, uh, for example, uh, one here in Houston that I work with rather intimately, I've had the opportunity to kind of sit, I'm going to say sit back. That sounds almost like I was just sitting on my butt and not doing anything, but in reality, I was dealing with trauma and dealing with, you know, losing almost everything. So it was a very, very different role for me to be in. But he, um, and and so who I'm, excuse me, who I'm mentioning is James Phelan. And he's actually the partnership director for our, our Houston chapter for Startup Grind. And while there's things that I know about him personally, because I've worked so closely with him, you know, for the past three, four years, I've noticed um, because of the unique opportunities that surfaced from Hurricane Harvey, he stepped into a role just because he's one of those very heart-driven style leaders that, you know, it was it's purely uh, volunteer, but it allowed him to tap into past skills that he hadn't activated in a really long time. And so what I'm talking about is, you know, he's, he was in the Navy, and, and I'm not going to remember the, the, the title properly, but basically what he did was he was, he was in charge of um, helping to get the Navy literally out of a specific area, which means he had to deal with, you know, all the equipment and the people and um, everything that goes from organizing, pulling the Navy out of an area, which, you know, that's kind of like running a little mini country almost. And what he did is he used those skills over in the Northeast, which was an area in our city that got completely forgotten. I mean, this this is one of the poorer areas in our city where there were literally people who don't have cars. Not that their car was flooded. They don't have cars. And because 
the businesses and the little corner stores and everything in that area were flooded as well. They couldn't even walk to go get food like they used to. And so they were literally sitting in their homes with water still in it, didn't have access to, you know, uh, cleaning supplies to muck things out. As mold is growing in their home, and a lot of them are elderly, you know, it's like, (laughs) it was a really, it still is, not was, it still is a really sad situation, but, you know, it's, he saw what was happening over there, immediately started doing what he does really great as a partnership director, started getting, you know, churches and, and those kind of giving um, type of organizations together to, to volunteer them to let them use their space and literally started tapping people that he knew, um, you know, could help bring in cleaning supplies or who had trucks or who had, you know, it's just like trying to put together uh, a, a little company, if you want to look at it that way, could help everybody that's in that community and just being able to activate and deploy people who weren't affected uh, that were friends or colleagues to volunteer, and it's just been amazing what they've accomplished over there. But I bring this up because I wonder how many other entrepreneurs do we have that have a plethora of skills that are either going to be or could be activated in a way to help us lead ourselves into this new world that we're looking at now because you and I see this happening on a consistent basis besides leadership having a new normal business con- continually has a new normal it's not something that that there's an age you know where we go in and we do it and it's there for a while and we learn it really well and we create processes around it it's like you've got to be so nimble now you've got to be a fantastic dancer if you're in business <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And and by the way, I am not a great dancer, but um, but uh, I'm, in my mind I am. In my mind I am. I I I gotta tell you, I, I, there's a big part of what you just said that's so important to this idea of the new normal and social leadership, and that is you. Uh, I'll paraphrase, but you said you, basically we have to activate our networks, right? And and the, and 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 that is a huge part of being. Uh, uh, this, you know, part of this new normal. I, I can't tell you how gratifying it is to see people when, you know, and too bad tragedy has to strike to, to get us all together sometimes. But, but the best leaders now, they aren't just active listeners, which is important to leadership. They aren't, they aren't just people who focus on getting stuff done uh, and, and, and not getting sucked into the bureaucracy they're able to provide enough actionable inspiration where they can actually engage their networks and say, we got stuff to do and let's do it together. And that's what's most impressive about this new normal is you see these little, these little contagious pockets of excellence where one person might step up, like the example you just used, and, and, and it's like a whole movement is engaged. And, and that's what's exciting. And, and I got to tell you, I, um, it's also it's also fun to see the karma thing coming around. Um, you you're, you might be familiar with Angela uh, Blanchard in Houston, and the work she did. Very familiar uh, with her. She right? is an awesome woman. Well, you think about the work that she did in Houston when Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, and and how many thousands of lives her leadership impacted. 
miles and miles and miles away. And, and you think about that she only had one afternoon to set up not just a shelter, but the Houston Astrodome with thousands of people flooding in by the hour. She had one afternoon to get that whole thing all set up, and she had to completely engage her network to do that, right? I mean, not, not just the physical provisions, but emotional support, financial support, everything. One afternoon, it was done. Well, now, several years later, Houston gets hit by, by this major catastrophe, right? What does Angela do? She jumps into, into, in, back into her network. And now her network's bigger because she helps so many people in, in Louisiana at the time that, that now she calls on them and says, okay, I, we need your help now. What, please. And, and boom, it's activated again, right? So what started out as just a little FEMA project in, in Houston, Angela turned that into her own personal movement. And, and now karma comes back and says, All right now it's Houston's turn. Now Houston needs help. And, and she had so many people because of her good work that were willing to give back to, to the, remember the good work she did after Katrina that there were people, they had more volunteers at one point than they had people. And, and that, what a, you know, uh, what, a, what a wonderful problem to have. Right. You know, that, that was fascinating to watch how that unrolled. And, you know, what happened in Houston could have been another Katrina, but we actually learned from what happened in Katrina, and we took different actions. And, uh, you know, it, it would probably be interesting to learn from Florida. I mean, while each storm is different, we we watched how we gain additional knowledge and we apply that the next time and we continue to generate different and better results. And to me, that's, that's something that I've always talked with clients about because, you know, folks tend to think that, okay, so if this problem's happened, here's how it's played out for other people and this is how this problem is always going to play out. And I'm like, no, the problem is not stagnant. And just like we've talked about how your communication needs to be more nimble, so does your leadership. So I'm curious to ask you, Mark, what kind of advice have you had to share with clients this year that is different than the year before because we have to literally live being nimble? Well, I think the, the, first, the first battle we're fighting, Michelle, and I mean this quite gender-specific, is, is what we call old white guy disease. There, there, there are so many older, typically boomer, white males in leadership roles who were trained to be decisive and bold and, and uh, a little uh, maybe loud sometimes. And, and those kind of leaders aren't exactly great at being nimble and they aren't great at being inclusive. And they're not, they're not the best delegators in the world sometimes. And, and I know I'm lumping, you know, 40 million people into one composite personality. That's not the intent of, the, of bringing this up. But there's a whole bunch of people who are still leading the way we did in the industrial age that haven't figured out that to be more nimble, you have to be more vulnerable. You have to be a better listener. You have to invite people into the conversation. You can't just talk at them. You have to talk with them. And that is the biggest obstacle we, we find in our practice is how do we convince this typically old white male 
that he has to change everything he knew about leadership to become that active listener, to become a great communicator, to provide actionable inspiration instead of giving orders. There's just such a difference in, in, in how that leadership is done that for many of these older, older people, it's, 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 a, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to imagine being a different leader than, than what they were 20, 30 years ago when their parents, when their role models, when their peers, when their business schools taught them exactly how to lead according to industrial age standards. And now we're asking them to change. That is by far our biggest challenge. I know you won't mind me pointing out an interesting view on that. And that is kind of funny that's coming from, I'm not going to say you're old. Oh, I'm old. That's kind of funny coming from a white guy. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, uh, I get that a lot actually. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, you know, I am 57 years old. I have been a leader for, for literally decades. But I had this epiphany, and, uh, well, right after the social age came out. We needed to build a community for college students, and we were, we were as an entrepreneur, I was self-funded. And my crew came to me and said, we got this. We don't need to go raise a half a million dollars or a million dollars through angel investors. We're going we're gonna to promote this organization through blogging and through social media. And you, you just wait, Mark, you'll see. Uh, that's the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. There's no way that you can build a community, build a business just on the back, on the back of social media and, and, and digital media. And, and I'll be darned if they weren't right. And, and I got to sit back and, and watch this happen and become involved in, in these you know, digital methods of communication. And it wasn't because we were broadcasting at people it's because our our charter as an organization was to listen to people figure out what they needed first figure out how far along the customer journey they were and then see how we could help them and and so we weren't dictating products and services we actually listened first and when i saw that happening when i saw that business take off in several cents in in such an organic community-driven way, then, then it was like that, the biggest light bulb you've ever seen going off over my head. So, yes, I'm an old white guy, and yes, I went into it reluctantly, but, but I'm absolutely convinced now this is how businesses are run, and this is how businesses are, are uh, the most successful businesses are led. Well, I'm glad you had the willingness to test that out. It's one of the things that I really enjoy about being so active in the startup community is that we do have a very different mindset in the startup community. It is all about having a hypothesis, testing that out, going out and and having customer interviews way before you ever even try to put together your minimal viable product. And it's, it's been fascinating to watch how many other organizations and, and companies are starting to turn and look to the startup world, the startup community, on how they can start navigating a little uh, smarter in the, in the business space. You know, uh, it's, it's also, I, I want to thank you for being willing to try something and and not just because it worked out successfully for you because I would imagine 
just like anything else, you guys had to to make mistakes and tweak along the way. <laughs> yes, um, ma'am, we you know, did. You don't, you, yeah, you don't change your own behavior in one swift movement, and and that's why I kind of bring that up. What what do you think that you can share with listeners today to help them recognize the pattern of what that type of change looks like for leaders so that they don't have those in what I call unhelpful internal conversations, thinking that they have to switch from A to Z overnight, and if they don't do that, then they weren't successful. Well, no. Well, first of all, change does not happen overnight. Sometimes it seems like that because, you know, let's, let's use the company everybody talks about when we talk about, uh, you know, the great cultures and the great leaders, Zappos. Um, Tony Shea will tell you that they have made literally millions of mistakes as they grew, but they learned from them. They were nimble. They were adaptable. Well, we did the same thing. We, we, we had to learn, frankly, what worked and what didn't. And, and it and it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't necessarily a uh, a painful thing because we learned from each instance. But I remember back to some of our early tweets or or some of our early comments. And uh, boy, we were trying to be edgy, but that that's like that really crossed the line, right? So so we definitely learned from our mistakes, and and sometimes we took a beating. But but in the meantime. We did. We did come up with this with this um, novel way of of building a business and growing a business, and 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 frankly, learning how to lead again, where everybody felt motivated, everybody was inspired to pitch in. I think, I think that's the the real key, Michelle. If you don't mind, is is we have to stop being managers of people and start being mentors of people, because <laughs> mentors care about the people they're working with, right? And Managers care about compliance and conformity. And when you can convince the people that are working with you and for you that you genuinely care about them as a person and as a professional, that's the difference. So if you're going to, if you're going to start small and just, and just build up big, I mean, if you want to do one thing that will instigate change overnight, lose the management mentality and, and, and grow the mentorship mentality, people will see the difference almost instantaneously. When you start showing people that you genuinely care about them and the work that they're doing and their lives away from work, then that's how change happens. That's where we create these contagious pockets of excellence where people go, well, yeah, I could get a better offer somewhere else, but you know what? He, he actually really cares about me, and I, and I have a sense of belonging here. I feel like I'm part of the community. I feel like I'm on the right side of the red velvet rope. And I don't want to go anywhere else. And and that and that that's how you, that's how you build change right away. Um, you don't do it by changing your culture. You don't do it by making a broad proclamation about how you're going to change. You make change one person at a time. I'd like to wrap up our conversation today, asking you to share with listeners. Uh, what has been more maybe part of your personal journey as a leadership? And I'm going to give an example like I do before I ask this of people. I've learned to be willing to share what's happened for me um, Mm -hmm. because I think 
when we show up that way, we elicit different types of responses. And interestingly enough, as much as I love the whole mindset of being a go-giver, and thank you, Bob Berg, for being an excellent uh, example of that uh, in the business world for a really long time, I've had to learn a very different piece of the leadership journey because of this catastrophe, and it's not about being a good giver. It's about learning how to be a gracious receiver. And, oh, my God, has it pushed my boundaries. Has it triggered things in me that I have just totally didn't even recognize before. And one of my friends who's a fabulous business coach we talked about it a few weeks ago, and she pointed out to me because I was, I was, mm, mm, the word, the word. So I'm going to tell you right now. One of the things that happens when you go through a catastrophe like this is your thinking and your brain um, kind of slows down. It doesn't respond as quickly as you like. So I would, I would put out there to everyone: be patient with folks right now because we have a lot of catastrophes around the country and and people are dealing with the emotional effects of that and it does affect how quickly we think. But back to the receiving and the giving part, you know, my friend said there is a piece of control that goes with being a giver all the time and you are having to activate learning how to be with the flow in a totally different way and learning how to be humble and learning how to ask for help, which is a very different hat than you've ever worn, she says, and I think you're going to end up being a very uh, different kind of leader after all this. And I can hold my hand up and tell you, oh, my God, Mark, I'm already seeing the difference show up for me. So I'd be curious to ask you, what's happened for you uh, as being a leader in your community personally? What's been one of your growths that have surfaced from you adapting and shifting gears as a leader? Well, first I'll tell you, Michelle, I am the the I am one of the worst people you'll ever no uh, when it comes to to asking for help i i um, i grew up with an irish lumberjack dad and when you had to ask for help it was quite literally considered a sign of weakness right and and um and this is also the man who taught me how to work work my butt off and to never give up and all the you know positive things but but some negative things come from that too and and so I was actually um, quite lucky. In 1999, I came home one Tuesday afternoon, and my uh, my house was empty. My kids were gone. The dog was gone. The bank accounts had been emptied. My wife had met somebody else, and and um, went off. and um, And I didn't know how to react to that. And so, um, I was not a good I was not a good asker at the time. Um, you know, this is almost 20 years ago now, and. And so I, I, but I, but I had been, you know, involved in Cub Scouts and I had coached little league and I coached high school ball and we had all these friends and all these acquaintances and all these parents and all these kids that we knew. And, and one person put the word out and said, Hey, Mark needs our help now. 
and and it my my world changed overnight and everybody engaged everybody got involved and um and uh, best story in the world although it sounds terrible it really is the luckiest thing that ever happened to me um a couple months later i had my full custody of all four kids we we began our new life together and up in lake tahoe and and i couldn't have done that without engaging the community i had at that time and that's that was the big aha moment for me was was you know it, it it's good to be a go-giver it's good to be a relentless giver it's whatever phrase you want to use but at some point in your life something bad is going to happen something weird is going to happen and all of that good that you've done over all those years is going to come back and you're going to feel blessed by it and and so I learned that 20 years ago and, it, and it's completely impacted my life since and it sounds like you might be going through the exact same thing right now yeah it's very interesting to see how that life lesson is activated differently for people and uh i'm i'm definitely looking daily looking forward to uh how that's going to be showing up continuously over this next year so thank you thank you so much for coming on today being willing to have this wonderful conversation of of what is the new normal for leadership and and i have a feeling that uh, you and i will probably have some continued uh, conversations on Breakthrough Radio as we go into 2018 because you've triggered some interesting ideas in my head that I'll share with you later. Oh, good. Well, I, I hope we have the opportunity to talk again soon. Thank you, Mark. Take care. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that has been kind of fascinating as far as all of the move is uh, – being located in a new place. And so before we shift into our breakthrough bite with Andrea, let me ask you, have you visited a new place? Have you participated in Startup Grind? You know, Startup Grind has what they call a fireside chat that happens in over 300 cities and 110 countries around the world. So I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what is happening in your city or your country with Startup Grind you'll find a group of very enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable business and affect positive change for the world. As a matter of fact, this coming month in Houston, um, October 18th, we're going to dive in how to identify and connect with global communities to build a sustainable business ecosystem. And, you know, we're going to be learning about Bancor ICO, an Israeli startup that gives you, no matter where you live and no matter who you are, uh, and what you want, a way to collaborate with the ability to exchange monetary resources with ease. So what is happening in your city with the grind? Make sure that you do go find out. All right, so it's time for us to bring on Andrea Walsh, our go for no um, gal, and she's going to be talking about con- the Connection Series this fourth quarter, and today's segment is titled Creating a Connectivity Mindset. So please join me as we welcome Andrea to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Andrea? Michelle, I'm doing so great, and it's wonderful to hear your voice and to know that you're literally picking up the pieces, and um, and as tragic as all of it was, uh, what has happened since for you? It's definitely been an interesting lesson, <laughs> that's for sure. 
Well, I'm going to go I ahead hear and mute you. my mic because uh, the lawn people decided to show up right in the middle of our show, and I want to be able to also listen to what we're going to learn from you about connections today. Very good. Well, yeah, so Q4 is all about a connectivity mindset, and it so dovetails with everything that um, you talked uh, with um, the gentleman this, today on the show and even just the startup grind Houston and all of that, because nothing is, is more important really than connections. And I think about my own success in business and how uh, some of the biggest breakthroughs that have ever happened for us, for Richard and I, my husband and I in our business came from chance meetings when we were out attending meetings and conferences and happened to meet someone and the conversations that, that happened and the, the relationships that developed from those things. And so connections really are so important. They can't be overstated. And I have found for me that it's not really even the, uh, the quantity of connections it really is the quality of connections, but it all starts with creating a connectivity mindset. And we have, and when I say we, I'm always referring to Richard and myself, we're husband, wife, business partners, team, and we together have a tendency to be lone wolves. I guess, I don't know how we can be alone together, but we kind of are two wolves, I guess. And I think we're not alone. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business owners, who are, um, who are out there, it's easy to just kind of sit in your, in your living room or your office and try to figure things out on your own and to be that lone wolf and to have some fear around getting out and making connections and meeting people for a wide variety of reasons. Um, but it really is so important to have that mindset around the importance of connections because, as I said, it we have made just a couple connections that have changed everything in our business. In fact, one of one time we went to a book marketing conference and um, we were there to learn book marketing secrets and we, we um, and strategies and things like that. And there was a guy who was sitting in front of us who we really didn't even have much interaction with, but we happened to, as we were leaving the event, um, I, I had overheard him talking and we'd just said a few words, but I knew he was a salesperson. And so we handed him a copy of go for no kind of at the last minute as a, um, as we were leaving, as we were walking out and I said, Hey, you might, you might enjoy reading this since you're in sales. And he took the book and, um, he has, his name is Tom. He ended up becoming one of our best friends, biggest connections. And it was from Tom's encouragement actually that, um, he, 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 he very nicely um, informed us that we, have a, we had a fantastic book for salespeople with the worst cover in the history of publishing, um, which was kind of harsh criticism, but um, it, it actually turned out that it was true. We had, had designed the cover ourselves. It was absolutely horrible. And with Tom's just suggestion, we finally stopped dragging our feet on it and invested in getting a, a, a new book cover, got a new book cover designed, and it completely changed the course of uh, history for our book. Our book started selling like mad. I think it was definitely one of the things that, that um, changed for us. And since that time, Go For No hit the number one spot on Amazon sales list. And all of these things happened just 
from a chance connection at an event. So having that mindset of just being open and making that effort and getting out there and because you never know what's going to happen. Now, Jim Rohn said, and I love this quote, he said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So in addition to getting out there and making connections, who's influencing you on a day-to-day basis? And if you're not getting the results that you want, have you taken an honest look at your current connections? Are you making new connections? Are people wanting to connect with you? And it, it begs the ugly question, are you spending time? So now not just going to events and meeting people, but kind of that day-to-day, are you spending time with the right people? And I hear that phrase bantered about, you know, the right person. And it's kind of a, I say it's an ugly question because it makes it sound like the person is bad or not a good person. And that's, of course, not what I mean, but the right person. And that means being the type of person that you need to make sure that you are around. They need to get you. They need to get what you're doing, what you hope to accomplish so that they can support you and give you what you need. And I read um, a fantastic article, so interesting, that really is what I'm talking about here. And it was titled The Marigold Effect. Um, I know absolutely nothing about plants and flowers. The only thing I have ever managed to do is kill them. And so I'm the last person to to have, uh, to understand anything about this. So to me, now to some of you who are out there who have a garden or whatever, this may be very obvious to you, but when I read this, I thought it was genius. So I stumbled upon this wonderful, wonderful article for the education profession by a lady named Jennifer Gonzalez, and it was titled Find Your Marigold. And Jennifer helps teachers in the classroom. And she says, Finding the positive, supportive, energetic teachers in your school and sticking close to them will improve your job satisfaction more than any other strategy. Uh, so you can, this, this can work for any company, right? It's finding the positive people, the supportive people in your business, in your industry, in your profession. Um, your chances of excelling in that field will skyrocket, according to Jennifer, at least in the teaching profession. And I think that it really is for any profession because here's what the marigold effect is. Experienced gardeners do what is called companion planting. So they place certain vegetables and plants near each other to improve growth for one or both plants. So like rose growers plant garlic because it near roses because it repels bugs and prevents disease. And apparently the marigold effect, the marigold is one of the best. It protects a wide variety of plants from pests and harmful weeds. So if you plant a marigold um, next to any garden vegetable, the vegetable is going to grow big and strong and healthy, protected and encouraged to do that by its marigold. And so Jennifer's point in her article, the marigold effect is marigolds exist, in her case, she's talking about schools, in the schools, and they're the teachers who are supportive and encouraging and nurturing. So if you can find a marigold in your profession and you stay close to them, you will also grow. You will, you're, it, 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 in a way, it's, it's mentorship, of course. It's, right, it's finding mentors, good connections, people that help you grow and make you better. So that's really, 
um, I, I think kind of as the foundation of the importance of the right person, quote unquote, right person, who, who are you surrounding yourself with? Hopefully they are the marigolds in your life. Hopefully they're not causing you to um, wilt, so to speak, using the plant analogy, but to grow and to be better. And Jennifer said this kind of just to wrap this up. She said, you can identify marigolds by the way they congratulate you when you arrive um, rather than being negative. If they offer to help you, if they're sincere, if they're excited, if you feel good around this person, chances are they are a marigold for you. So the lesson for this show is find your marigold, make sure you're with the right people and work on creating a relationship with them. And then for next um, month, we've got, I've got all kinds of things I'm going to talk about relating to creating connections, deep connections. And also for those of you who are lone wolves, how do you have that small talk? How do you start? If you are at a conference, what do you say? I'm going to give you all kinds of tips and tricks because I know that's, I know that's um, challenging for people, and, but I have some really cool counterintuitive strategies um, for that as well. Well, Andrea, we're definitely looking forward to it. One of the things that I think I have enjoyed and I know listeners have shared with us they've enjoyed about you being part of our Breakthrough Radio team is how thought-provoking as well as practical the knowledge is that you share with everyone. So we thank you so much for that. Absolutely, Michelle. It's so good to hear your voice. I'm so so glad that um, that things are, are are turning around, and I just wish you all the best there in Houston. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Now, because right. your feedback well, is important to us, and we, you know, our intention has always been to. Uh, bring you guests each week that are going to expand your knowledge as well as inspire your actions to grow your business. To accomplish that, it's benefited the entire team to hear what you've liked, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about. And you can always email us those requests at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Again, that's thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. And, of course, we love it when you share with us those insights with our hashtag BBS Radio. I want to thank you for visiting and checking out additional episodes on Breakthrough Radio at www.thebreakthroughradio.com. So tell us, who else would you like to hear and learn from? Make sure you let us know what that looks like. And while we didn't have a brain download question today, it is designed to be fun and important. The intention is to remind you to ask yourself, how am I making my choices and my decisions? This is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. We will talk with you next Monday. <laughs>